0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to an encore episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I'm Robert Miller, your host. Ted Nugent is known as the Motor City Madman. He's had an extraordinary rock and roll career, first with the Amboy Dukes and then as a solo performer. He talks about it all, and he puts on a mini concert. Listen again to this incredible february
1: 2022 episode hi this is mark farner the original lead singer songwriter guitar player for the band grand funk railroad and you are listening to follow your dreams podcast with brother robert miller
0: everyone has a
1: dream Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star he followed his dream and he succeeded if you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today welcome to the follow your dream podcast
0: hi everybody welcome to another episode of the follow your dream podcast I am Robert Miller your host My guest today is none other than Ted Nugent, the Motor City Madman himself. Since the 1960s, Ted Nugent has been a force of nature in music. He has sold over 40 million albums. His guitar playing and shredding and stage act are legendary. In 1977 through 1979, he was the highest grossing touring artist in the world. Never shy and retiring, he has expressed his deeply felt opinions on a whole host of controversial subjects, all of which I'm gonna try very hard to avoid today because I wanna focus on his music career, which has been absolutely remarkable. As usual with my musician guests, in the second half of this show, We are going to do a song fest featuring several of Ted's songs. We'll play them, and we'll talk about them, and they're so much fun, and nobody else does this in podcasts. My featured song in this episode, and I always feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end, is the live version of my reimagined take on the song, I'm So Glad which was a hit for Cream in the 1960s. My band's version was recorded live at the Nisville Jazz Festival in Serbia. It's not quite Ted Nugent rock and roll, but it's about as close as I can get. So Ted Nugent, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby.
1: I feel welcome, Robert, because my entire life is basically following my dreams and I'm living them and I'm willing to share the effervescent piss and vinegar, positive spirit, energy and attitude with you and all real music lovers around the world. God bless you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: It's so great to have you. I mean, you're right. You are a man of dreams here. You have done so much in your career and I want to talk about that. But, you know, at your core, you're a Detroit guy right?
1: Have you noticed that? I am the Motor City Madman. I'm the only one who qualifies. I got to tell you, we could talk forever, Robert, about the spirit and the energy and the the middle finger on fire, grinding <laughs> rhythm and blues epicenter that is Detroit. Going back to Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, everything Motown. I mean, genuflect at the altar of the Motown Funk Brothers, the incredible spirit and the, uh, the musical authority. Authority that I was showered with, wallpaper, carpet bomb, musicality every day of my life. And every musician you will ever talk to, you bring up Detroit and they will tell you the unbelievable, immeasurable influence that all things Detroit, especially in their essence, the Motown Funk Brothers, the songwriting, but going back to Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, that's why there was an Amboy Dukes and a Grand Funk Railroad and an MC5 and a Brownsville station and a Bob Seger. Mitch Ryder and his band really established a bar of energy and musical cohesiveness and a, and a spirit to the music that was influenced by all those black heroes of ours.
0: That's so interesting that you, you talk about Mitch Ryder because I did see Mitch Ryder when he'd had that big hit in, uh, in the mid 60s.
1: Up. Get it! Hey! Devil with with yeah! with yeah. with yeah. Beep, beep, bum Look at now, here she come, Wearing a wig hat, and shades to match, Got a high-heeled shoes and an alligator hat, Wearing the pearls and a diamond ring, got Bang
0: a every and play. he had a great guitar player with him. I don't know his name, but he had that- I do.
1: Yeah. Robert, tell me. let me go. I'll tell you. You see this Gibson Birdland in my hands?
0: I see it, baby.
1: This is a direct result. You're talking about the mighty the mighty Jimmy McCarty when he went that's hey. it I see CC see, see Rider. come on see baby what you have done Jimmy McCarty, (laughs) Walled Lake Casino, 1960, my band, the Lourdes, opened up for the band Billy Lee and the Rivieras, Uh who changed their name to Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels a few years later. And on the bill, Billy Lee and the Rivieras headlined the Walled Lake Casino. This is 1960, man. And there was a brand new band from Detroit called Martha and the Vandellas. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> God, and there was a guy named gene pitney who had a big hit at the time called town without pity and then my band the lords and when i watched don't ever forget the name jimmy mccarty
0: jimmy mccarty did he do that fabulous solo in uh in their big hit <laughs>
1: That's it. Good golly me, show that I mean I know all <laughs> that those was kids. it, baby. That's why that's why I play the Gibson Birdland because of what I saw Jimmy McCarty unleash that night. But it's also important. Johnny Benadjic on drums was only fifteen, an absolute god of drum thunder. Earl Elliott on the Rickenbacker bass through an Ampeg B eighteen. Uh, Joe Kubrick on a, a a Cherry Gibson ES-335 through a Fender Twin, and Mitch Ryder, <laughs> Bill LeVice, just demolishing six tambourines per song, established <laughs> such an incredible high bar of music authority, tightness. They, they followed in the footsteps of James Brown and the Motown Funk Brothers, where the music had to have spirit, and energy, and here it is. I'll be seventy three in a couple of weeks, and I've got a band, I got a new record called D- Ted Nugent, Detroit Muscle, twenty twenty two. We're going to talk
0: about that, Ted.
1: And but the point is, is that that influence from that night in August of nineteen sixty, and of course, I was influenced a lot before that by the Ventures and Dwayne Eddy and Dick Day. Uh, uh, Lonnie Mack, are you kidding me? Certainly Chuck Berry and Bo Diddle and Little Richard, are you kidding me? And Les Paul. <laughs> but what Jimmy McCarty referenced that night on the Gibson Birdland, to this day, Robert, it brings me such joy, such musical adventure. And in my band and the songs and the music, I, I'm so lucky that being clean and sober my entire life, I learned that in order to really sponge the musical genius of a Jimmy McCarty and the whole band and all my heroes being clean and sober, let you sponge it and understand it better and ultimately translate it and deliver it yourself. So that's why all these years later, my music still means the world to me, man.
0: I'll tell you, I I'm a little bit younger than you. And one of the first concerts I ever saw was Mitch Ryder and the Detroit wheels playing on long Island. In New York City, because that's where I'm from, and um, they had the big hit that we've been talking about that you've been playing. And McCarty, I didn't know his name at the time, but he replicated that solo, which was such a beautiful solo, and you just did it too, on stage live. And I remember my my tongue was hanging out of my mouth because it was one of the great solos of that era. This is mid '60s. This is before all the British guys came over, and you know the Flash and all of that. The guy was good.
1: Well, let me tell you, Mr. Long Island guy, what you saw Mitch Ryder, the Detroit Wheels do, you, how about the band on Long Island, The Illusion, and and, and at the action house, Vanilla Fudge. The oh, Amboy yeah. played all those places on Long Island. So <laughs> I was in the eye of that storm. And here, all these years later, I'm an old man, Robert, but I'm still <laughs> in the eye of that storm. How lucky am I, huh?
0: You bet. You know, I had Mark Stein from the Vanilla Fudge on the show. And, uh, you know, that version of you keep me hanging on, there were two things that that sent me into another wavelength to reimagine songs, what they did with you keep me hanging on, you know, the Supremes version. And then when I was one of those 10 million people that was at Woodstock and I heard Joe Cocker do his version of with a little help from my friends, I just said, "Okay, now I know what you can do with a song. You can make it your own.
1: Sure. Well, what you're talking about, Mark Stein on the Hammond B3, uh, the amazing Carmine Appice on drums, right? Um, Vinnie Martell on the guitar, and 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 just just the greatest bands. Those guys, they all came from the Motown Funk Brothers. They all yeah. came from James Brown, and 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 just just an amazing era of musicians that were into a samurai spirit of musical dedication. Um, well, one so, of the other
0: oh, New York guys that I know you probably loved was also on the show, Felix Cavalieri from The Rascals.
1: The rat we opened the Amboy Dukes opened up for the Rascals in 67 and 68. And I got to watch those guys. Gene Cornish uh-huh. also played a big fat Gibson hollow body yep. jazz guitar. And I could play all those songs. We played all those songs as the Amboy Dukes in every band I was in. So that was an explosive musical celebration era. And nowadays I'm I'm really let down at the abandonment of that that piss and vinegar that that dedication to tightness there's very few bands other than the fool fighters and that's not a new band and greta van fleet from uh, michigan that's not even a new band anymore there's no real bands that jump on that rhythm and blues grind that 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 grunt and and groove that that all our black heroes taught us i'm afraid i don't see that anymore so yeah, i right, still but... i'm so happy that you can, and Tim Bogart, I forgot to mention Tim Bogart, the amazing bass player. Those are all friends, the Amboy Dukes played with them and Jimi Hendrix and every band, the Rascals. I bet, I mean, uh, we played the Fillmore East with uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears and the Chambers (laughs) Brothers. Time! (laughs) what what a great air that's why i have all this piss and vinegar because i still live that stuff
0: you're right you're right completely all right tell me about the amboy dukes because you know that song journey to the center of the mind i mean it was it was a very cool song in its day behind. Come with us and find the pleasures of the the journey
1: to the center of the mind. Come along if you care. Come along if you dare. Take a ride to the land inside of your mind. Beyond the
0: seas of thought. Beyond the
1: Across
0: the streams of hopes and dreams where things are really hot. This was the the psychedelic era of the 60s. And tell us, because you were front and center in the Amboy Dukes.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. It was a psychedelic era. And my rhythm guitar player, Steve Farmer, that's what he was referencing. Because I was against drugs. I'm still against drugs. I mean, to each his own. But I want people with a higher level of awareness. I want people that are not comfortably numb because that's actually comfortably uncomfortably dumb. I like people that are tuned in and dedicated to a given united task. Right. And that right. describes the Amboy Dukes. Greg Arema on bass guitar, Robert, listen to his bass playing as a 15-year-old kid <laughs> on Journey to the Center of the Mind. Listen to Dave Palmer, 15-year-old kid. Think of Steve Farmer's uh, lyrics, clever lyrics, John Brake on lead vocal, Rick uh, Lober on Fender uh, Rhodes uh, keyboards, and the great Andy Solomon on Hammond B3. But I just got up one morning and I went. And then I added the. And then I did the amazing. Was only eighteen. How Ted, you
0: still got it, baby?
1: How about that melody on a lead guitar? (laughs) So again, we were all about tightness and groove and musical—dare I say—defiance and adventure. That means just throwing in a, a, a C sharp minor seventh on the on the middle section. I mean, we we were an adventurous band, but we were so addicted to trying to be worthy of James Brown and Wilson Pickett and Sam and Dave and the Motown Funk Brothers. All my musicians from even before the Amboy Dukes were all inspired by that. There's a unique uh, emotion and power and believability to those black heroes, going all the way to Hollow Wolf and Muddy Waters and Lightning Hopkins and certainly Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Little Richard, all these monster musical forces. But all the bands of that era, including the Rascals, including the Vinyl of Fudge, including Mitch Ryder, every band you name, that's where the Kinks and the Who and Led Zeppelin, that's where the Stones and the Beatles they played Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and Motown songs on right. their first albums. Those all were out English, of the same tree. That wasn't English music, that was American. Music. You betcha. So that even on my new record, Detroit Muscle, we still get in the barn. I have a swamp barn in Michigan, and with Jason Heartless, Jason Heartless on drums from Detroit, Greg Smith on bass guitar from Pennsylvania. These guys have been with me for many years. To watch these guys dedicate themselves, it's just like the Amboy Dukes, just like the Damn Yankees, just like all your favorite bands. We get in a room, and there's no world outside our musical dedication, spirit of adventure, bastardizing chords and, and kind of grunting and grinding certain rhythms so that we, we think that James Brown will be checking us out from above. So <laughs> that spirit that of the music that you loved, it is alive and well in my band. It's still alive and well in ZZ Top. It's still alive and well in Grand Funk Railroad and Mark Farner. It's still alive and well In in obviously the stones look at Mick Jagger. What is he 108 years old? He's on the he's on stage kicking maximum ass because he still has that bluesy, black musical authority that he is emulating, that he is respecting and showing reverence for. So that's the core to all the music that we all love.
0: You're right. Now explain something to me. Of course, everybody knows that Motown had the Hitsville house. I mean, it's just a it's just a house. How did they get such sounds out of the basement of just a little house like that?
1: That's a great question. And boy, you got the right guy to answer that. If you examine your favorite music, if you look what Andrew Lug Oldham did and Eastman did with the Beatles, Oldham with the Stones, it was raw. It was primal. The musicians go back to what I just said about the dedication to the musicality, the musical authority. The guitar players, believe me when I tell you, we are nuts about our guitar tone. We learn from Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, so we get our guitar sound to satisfy us. Though we're never satisfied, but we pursue satisfaction. The drummer tunes his drum so that it's got a, a a Louis Belson. It's got a. It's got a. Uh, a charlie watts it's got the motown funk brothers so what happened in hittsville usa on west grand boulevard i've been there many times what happened in that basement by those mighty mighty musical geniuses called the funk brothers yep they each had such dedication to their tone their sound the way their instruments sounded that a, an engineer in those days was there was no really engineering school you would go in and you listen to these guys play and it just sounded awesome. So as you went into the control room, you found the right microphone. Back then it was the uh, ElectroVoice uh, 663, I think 663 it was called, like use it for a hammer if you wanted to, and, and the, <laughs> the different microphones. So the engineers went, well, the drums sound like this when I'm standing next to it. We've got to make sure it sounds like that on tape. That's the secret. And we did it in 2021 on the Detroit Muscle Record. Michael Lutz, the author of Smoking in the Boys' Room for Brownsville Station, and Tim and Andy Paddle, and these guys are musical maniacs. They demand texture and richness and big and noisy drums and fat, grinding, earthy bass tones and fiery A-10 warthog firestorm guitar tones. So when you listen to the way the band sounds in the right in front of them, a good engineer and they had good ones because they loved the music. That's the bottom line, they loved the music. So if if Mr. White with his Gibson Super 400 through that Fender ramp sounded like this in the room, that engineer instinctively went into the control room and remember this was this was the infancy of recording for all practical right. purposes. He made sure that what happened in the control room sounded like the band in the, the performance room. That, the, the police first album, what they recorded it in the three days. And I remember an interview with Sting, another musical genius influenced by all the black artists, that he said, we just made sure that what went on tape sounded what our ears heard in the room.
0: You know, it sounds so simple and yet, to replicate the quality of what they got out of Hitzville. Just it's almost impossible. You, th- you think about all the studios that came after that with all the millions of dollars of equipment and baffling and all of that stuff, and they didn't get the sound that you got <laughs> out of this little room called Hitsville.
1: Well, let me let me celebrate the musical geniuses I've always been surrounded with. My music wouldn't mean squat if it was just me. My musicians, my Producers, my engineers. When I went solo from the Amboy Dukes and recorded the Ted Nugent solo album for Epic Records, it was Tom Werman and Tony Rialli and Lou Futterman. But the band, we cared about each other's sound. And so as we're jamming and we tuned the drums perfect, Cliff Davis, oh my God. Derek St. Holmes, oh my God. These are musical monsters. Rob Grange on bass, the tones that they got, the, my tone is, is, is sacred. You don't represent my tone any different than my tone. But Tom Worman and Tony Realli and Lou Futterman, our team, they would come in the studio and listen to the dedication we gave to the sound of our instruments. And then they would respect that in the room. They'd test this mic. They'd test that speaker. They'd change cables. But it does sound ridiculously simple. And in essence, it is, but it's all up to these things on the side of your head. If the people involved in making your record love the music, respect the artist and their delivery of the sound of their instrument, and then the, the engineers and the technicians are dedicated to make sure that what ends up being recorded is what the band delivers. And so you hear some of these over and some of this pop music, which makes me want to grow up. A lot of this so-called country music nowadays, I, I guess it's made for children's cartoons or maybe the Ferris wheel at a county fair. I think the music nowadays just sucks royal. It has no piss vent It has no spirit. I don't think the musicians even believe in it. Now, there are some that are great. I love Big and Rich. I love Toby Keith. I love, I love a lot of these guys. I love Kid Rock. I love a lot of these artists. I love Aaron Lewis. They believe, but overall, when you look at what's the top-selling chart-breaking records, it's like children's Ferris wheel music. It's all, uh, uh, it's, it's, all its all a recipe. They have a, a recipe for what the people will buy instead of delivering what's in their guts. And again, I mentioned some artists just now that still demand honesty of delivery of the music they believe in, and the engineers and the producers capture it on occasion. But so many of the songs, I can't even listen to radio anymore because it it's, it's it's pablum it's milk toast it doesn't have any fire there's no forehead vein popping moment moments like all <laughs> our favorite music so what the secret with my music and it's not a secret and with again our favorite our zz top acdc foreigner journey uh sammy hager van halen uh cheap trick you listen to all the greatest music certainly the vanilla fudge and the rascals and all these other bands everybody involved Cared about what we heard. Well, Carmine Apathy, my God, he's a world-class drummer. You want to make sure you capture Carmine Apathy's drum sound. And they did. And when you do that, the music is more believable. And what's more important than believability?
0: Yes, I'm with you completely. It's unfortunate that an entire generation has been trained to accept the other kind of stuff that you're talking about. And all you can do is keep doing what you're doing and making sure that it's out there and that people hear the real deal.
1: You know, Robert, here it is. I'm old. I'll be 73, like I said. I keep mentioning that because I wore out my dogs again this morning, so I must be doing (laughs) something right. But I've been clean and sober my whole life and I eat wild game and I eat it in responsible portions and I don't put any poison in my sacred temple. If I can't pronounce the ingredients, it never makes its way into our home. My my wife and I have been organic field to table. I've been that way since I was born. But my point being is that when you love a certain endeavor, me, it's music, it's conservative politics, it's the constitution, it's individual freedom, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That that autonomy demand finds its way into my music. Even as early before I couldn't have articulated this with Journey to the Center of mind, I played with the... The defiance of a James Brown and the defiance of the black artist that, that spit on the concept of slavery and spit on the concept of racism and, and defied the status quo that we were offended by with, uh, again, slavery and racism and discrimination and all that ugliness that man is capable of. But that's why that black music was so powerful, because they they gave it the finger, a big black middle finger on fire. And that resonates with all of us because we're all independent at the core. We all believe in individuality at the core. And unless you've been dumbed down by an anti-education system and a lying, hateful, treasonous media, boy, these are some harsh words. You wanted to avoid this, but you can't because that <laughs> ends up in my music. That ends up in my standing up for what I believe in and the way I play guitar. And that's what made James Brown so good.
0: You're right about that. Okay, I want to I want to slip you a a left hook here. I want to talk about something that I think is near and dear to you. You're a big Detroit sports fan, aren't you?
1: You know, let me stop you there. You know, I'm a sports fan. Kurt Gibson, I just talked to him the other day. What a what a warrior. What an athlete, huh? And when the when the Red Wings were winning the Stanley Cup all those years, and the Pistons were winning all those championships, and I don't think the uh, I don't think the Tigers since '68 have won anything, or the Lions. But my point is, I am not a spectator. I've been to one sport in, well, I went to the Super Bowl with Governor Perry, and I was bored to death. I don't get it. I mean I get the athleticism. I get the the warrior in the arena thing, but I am so busy living and doing. That I'm not a spectator. I don't watch much, but my children, all my kids, love that stuff. So I would make sure I took them to the Stanley Cup, you know, games, and to the Detroit Pistons when they won. And I admire that, that, that. Uh, I guess the uh, man in the arena, the the athleticism, the dedication to that 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 samurai spirit. So I admire it, but I don't watch it. The only game I ever went to was the Detroit Tigers at Tiger Stadium. Actually, it was called Briggs Stadium in 1958. Other than a couple things I've taken my kids to, well, more than a couple, um, I've never gone to a game. I just, I just don't pay any attention to that at all.
0: Really? So you didn't follow the Tigers when they were in their heyday back in that late 60s? No,
1: I'm aware of it. And like I said, Kurt Gibson's a dear friend and and I was the game I went to in '58. I think it was Storm and Norman Cash and Al Kaline and all these. That's things. right.
0: That's the that was the heyday of Detroit yeah, baseball. But you know
1: what? I, I got to tell you, I was I have always been so into music, and equal to that, Robert, is my hunting lifestyle. I I am so dedicated to hunting with the bow and arrow. It is such a samurai oneness with the spirit and with the, 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 the miracle creation of renewable venison, to put it mildly, that when I'm not unleashing my musical outrage, I need to shut up. <laughs> There's nothing that will force you to shut up and sit still than trying to kill a deer with a bow and arrow. So I've always been a bow hunter and I've always been a rock and roll, fire breathing rhythm and blues guitar player, But I don't watch other people do stuff so much. I'm either doing, 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 or I'm in a tree trying to ambush a deer.
0: Hey, everybody. My Follow Your Dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. All right. You know, we're going to go into that second part of this interview that I call the Fest because you've led in perfectly. One of the songs that your staff picked out that I wanted to uh, play and talk to you about is exactly what you just said. It's all about bow hunting. It's Fred Bear, which we're playing right now underneath as we speak.
1: Here I was, back in the wild again felt right at home where I belong I had that feeling coming over me again Just like it happened so many times before yeah. like an old good friend Makes me feel warm and good inside And I knew his name and it was good to see him again Cause in the wind he's still alive
0: So tell us how that came about, and go ahead, you riff on it.
1: I'm I'm so glad you picked that song, and I'm so proud of my songwriting. I mean, again, I don't write songs. I've never sat down in my life, Robert, with a pad of paper and a pencil. I've never sat down ever to write a song. Really? I play my guitar every day. I love my guitar. I love This looks like a limited topography. It looks like this environment starts here and ends there. It's limitless. It is absolutely impossible to milk musical statements conclusively from a guitar because it's so expressive. You know, it's not just plain notes, it's it's plain almost notes like... I mean, I I, I got to kind of force myself to stop because I'll play forever. But the part about Fred Bear is like all my songs. I said it really succinctly recently. A guy said, "How do I write songs?" And I go, "Well, I don't write them. I ejaculate them. <laughs> <laughs> I ju- they just they just happen, huh? Because, because when I pick up the guitar, what I'm feeling." Or maybe it's what I'm not feeling. It's, 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 again, I use the term samurai as a, as a variation closely representing the unlimited physics of spirituality that a musician can deliver, whether it's John Coltrane or, or, or Keith Richards um, or Ted Nugent or Billy Gibbons or Sammy Hager, no matter who it might be. But the Fred Bear song is a perfect example of how organic my songwriting is. After my dear friend, Fred Bear, who I met when I was a little boy in Michigan on our annual family bow hunting trips north, I didn't know who he was. I was only five or six years old when I first met him, but I was already deep into the mystical flight of the arrow. My mom and dad said, I never put my bow and arrow down unless I picked up my guitar. (laughs) When I wasn't holding my guitar, I was shooting my bow and arrow. So there's something about the oneness with your chosen path of life that the arrow can manifest based on your focus, discipline, risk-taking, form, physics, spirituality. Well, Fred Bear has such an influence on so many of us, reintroducing the challenge of getting close to game with a sharp stick versus the ex- expansion and the advancement of ballistic technology so you could kill them far, far away. Roy Weatherby was creating ballistics where a 400, 500 yard shot on a deer was very doable, which is quite a challenge. Marksmanship, breathing, sight acquisition, knowing your weapon, and control of that trigger at point of ignition is very exciting, very disciplinary. But you magnify that by about a million, and that's what it takes to kill a deer with a bow and arrow. It's It's borderline impossible. So when Fred died, I was on my way out the door to give my dogs their biscuits and and do what I do every day. And I went back in the house and I just started, I just sat, I wasn't thinking of Fred. My mom had just died. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff, but something came over me. This is where you're open to the spirit. And I I sat down I went, in the wild again, and I felt right at home where I belong, I had that feeling come over me again, just like it happened so many times before, so gotta be in touch with the spirit world to to deliver a purity and i i know i'm not bragging i'm just saying that i so loved fred he was such a such an incredible wonderful man and you're so hurt when you lose someone you love And I can express that musically. And to this day, people use that song at the birth of a child, at the death of a loved one, at a retirement party, at a bar mitzvah, at a graduation, at a wedding, at the return of a flag draped coffin. Um, I, I think I am so tuned into my spirit that um, it has a life of its own. And I think the best man can do is to unleash pure emotions. And people that had never heard of Fred Bear, some people thought this song was called Fred the Bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that song has had a life of its own for 30, 32 years now. And this morning I heard from someone who used it when their family got together at Deer Camp in Wisconsin, it to this day, Robert Fred Bear is the number one requested song year round mm. in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and some other places. Even at Ozzy's Boneyard on Sirius XM, it's a heavy metal station, but they get requests, and they have to play Fred Bear. They get so many requests for it because it touches people pretty, pretty deep into the soul. I think. And that's a perfect example. And even though Wang Dang, Sweet Poontang is a different song, um, my love of the female species um, is as real as my love for life itself. So I can, I can dance an uncharted dance from heartbreak, emotion, love, memories of a Fred Bear. And on the new album, I have a song called Leave the Lights on him. My brother John died, and I wasn't thinking of it, but I picked up the guitar one more, and I went... song you will never be alone so I'm an emotional guy
0: we're getting the real concert here love it and I'm a,
1: I'm, a, I'm an honest guy I don't hold anything back which was why I get in trouble so much but I think <laughs> God wants us to be honest I think we're supposed to be honest um and my love for my brother John and my heartbreak it it, it sounds like that mm-hmm. so uh I, I thank God every day. You know, we're celebrating Thanksgiving here, but I celebrate it every day. I celebrate Thanksgiving every day good because you. I have been given such a, a gift of life, which is why I don't poison it. It's why I manage it with, with respect, clean and sober, eating good food, doing lots of charity work, helping anybody I can possibly help. And that ends up coming out of my music, whether it's a defiant outrage, middle finger on fire, or it's a genuine outreach to help someone. They're both legitimate sensations.
0: All right. I want you to tell me a similar story and emotion and feeling for another one of your big hits The Great White Buffalo.
1: Another perfect example, Robert, I didn't write the song. I let it go. I, I literally was in the studio. I think it was during the uh, Call of the Wild with Rob Grange, amazing bass player. Guy. <laughs> Another example of the unbelievable gifted virtuosos and work ethic gentlemen ass kickers that I've been surrounded with. And Vic Mastriati, who ended up playing with uh, Don't You Make My Brown Eyes Blue, uh, Crystal Gale. Uh, but uh, great musicians. So I'm in the studio tuning up. We're about to record a song. And I'm going. And Rob went. Robert, hey, hey, hey. What's that? What is that? And I go, what's what? He goes, you, ju- you just played a lick. What is it? And I go. No, I'm just tuning. I'm just playing E, D, and A. He goes, no, you played a lick. And I went... And I dicked around. And he goes, no, that's not it. You just did something. I go, I don't know what I did. Because I was just tuning, just unleashing licks. (laughs) Well, we recorded the song, had lunch, came back, and I was tuning again, and I went... And Rob went, that's it, that's it. And I went, oh... So I had no title in mind. I didn't know where it was gonna go, but I said, yeah, that is a great lick. I said, record this, go ahead and record this. Again, I'm gonna do two licks, come in with the cowbell, and then you guys give me a -A -A Give me two of those, and then just let's go. And then I'm gonna signal you to stop, we'll re-intro it, and you do the same come in, and we're gonna keep going. And then in the middle, I'm gonna play some stuff, and I go, let's do this. And I set up a mic, and I literally went, didn't know what I was doing. I went. Right. And then I just started going, Well, listen, everybody. And yeah, what I got to say, there's hope for tomorrow. Is if we wake up today. Well, it happened long ago in the new magic land. The Indian and the buffalo existed hand in hand. The Indian needed food and skins for a roof, but they only took what they needed. Millions of buffalo were the proof. Robert, I just sang this. But then came the white man with his thick and empty head. He couldn't see past his billfold. He wanted all the buffalo dead. So the Indians hidden in fear there were no buffalo to be found. The magic seemed to be missing. Looked like some kind of burial ground. But above the canyon walls, strong eyes did glow. It was the leader of the land, the great white buffalo, and he found the battered herd and he led them across the land with the great white buffalo, we can make a final stand. So listen, everybody, to what I got to say there's hope for tomorrow if we wake up today with the great... Robert, (laughs) where did this come from?
0: This was all just extemporaneous, huh?
1: with a life of its own, subconscious. Wow. I, I wasn't aware of the Native Americans white buffalo legend. I, I don't think I saw the silly um uh, movie that they had made, Charles Bronson, it was a horrible movie, called The Great White Buffalo. I don't think I had seen it. But because I'm a bow and arrow guy, I had heard a lot of Native legends. And at some point I must have heard something about the great white buffalo because after, After I sang it, then I listened back and wrote down what I sang. (laughs) And and the Native American tribes unanimously, Robert, have approached me over the years and said, that's our legend of our spiritual leader who will save our people. Above the canyon walls, strong eyes did glow. It was the leader of the land, the great white buffalo. And he found the battered herd and let them across the land. Boy, that's 2021.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're getting a masterclass and a concert from Ted Nugent.
1: Well, again, you know what? I I approach my recording and my music with no baggage. I have no agenda. I know I'm a political animal. That's what you call an experiment in self-government, duh. But when I get ready to make music, nothing is sacred. I have no agenda. I had no idea where these lyrics come from. I'm so lucky that way because I think the purest music is, is the ones that flow naturally. I think when you go to Nashville and you sit down with the songwriting team and you come up with some hit formulas, that's not the same as a song that you're pouring your heart out in or having fun with like Wango Tango or Stranglehold or, or Motor City Madhouse, even though those lyrics are right on the money, Dog Eat Dog, right on the money, Tooth, Fang, and Claw, right on the money, um, Geronimo and Me, right on the money, <laughs> Bound and Gag, right on the money, I Was Born in the Motor City, brand new song, right, driving, uh, all my new songs, De- Motors- Detroit Muscle. I mean, listen to this guitar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right i i read this quote about your new album detroit muscle you said something like everyone needs a sucker punch of detroit muscle now more than ever tell us what you mean by that
1: well detroit music has always been a powerful force of making people happy <laughs> i mean the motown list of hits If that doesn't make you feel good, you know you turn your radio up when you when they come on. You know when you hear a Bob Seger song or a Ted Nugent song or a Brownsville Station or a Kid Rock or a Grand Funk Railroad. When you hear these Detroit musicians, you turn it up, because it's a it's even though some of it might be politically um, friction causing, shall we say? There's a nice phone call. Um, the point is, Detroit music is comfort music and and right now the world is very treacherous very ugly there's still a lot of positive spirit and positive spirit and positive attitude and positive energy but there's also a lot of real ugly negativity in the world so we need comfort music and my music is so high energy again Greg Smith on bass Jason Hartless on drums They put so much heart and soul into every song. I think when you finally hear all the songs, Detroit Muscle, Born in the Motor City, Driving Blind, Feedback, Grindfire, American Campfire, Come and Take It. When you hear the songs in this record, it'll put a shit-eating grin on your face and it'll make you feel upbeat. So that's what I mean about a Detroit sucker punch. Just think, if we had never heard The Temptations or The Four Tops or The Supremes or or any of these great, great songs, or Stevie Wonder, think if we never heard them, and all of a sudden they came out right now for the first time, we would still love them like we did in the original days, because it makes you feel good. And my music, for all the piss and vinegar that's involved, um, it does make you feel good. If you don't have a good feeling when Stranglehold or or and love grenade from or the music made me do it from a couple of years ago. I ha, I'm so happy when I hear my music and I'm a music lover and I get feedback on Facebook all the time about how all my music. You mentioned Fred Bear and Great White Buffalo. People still reference those songs and it makes them feel good. So America needs an Uncle Ted Detroit Muscle sucker punch to the solar practice right now to make you feel good in these ugly times.
0: I'll tell you 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 couldn't have said it better. You have been as you uh, as I imagined it a force of nature. We've been talking to Ted Nugent. You're just too much. It's such a joy to speak with you. I love the emotion. I love the feeling that you put into everything in your life and it goes into the music and that's what makes you as good as you are.
1: Well, thank you. But I appreciate the opportunity that we, you know we, you're you're this is an interview dialogue and you're talking about the things that I love the things I crave. You're asking me questions about this incredible life that I've been blessed with. So that's why it's high energy. And I appreciate the opportunity. I I thank you for caring. I thank you for pursuing this dialogue. I really appreciate it.
0: You know, sometimes people get uh, waylaid by like the, you know, the, 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 the tough things, the tough issues in life that where there's a lot of divisiveness and all of that. But when you get right to the core, and I think you just said it, your music, Detroit's music, it's feel-good music. It's comfort music. And you're right. It's the stuff that has lasted for 50 or more years. And there's a reason for that. And the fact that it was made in a little house on Grand Avenue called hitsville who cares? It had a perfect sound to it. And you're part of that tradition. So I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. This has been a real exercise. I love it. And we're going to listen now to the song of mine that started off the interview playing underneath the introduction. It's my version of Cream's. I'm so glad. And I want to thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe,
1: rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.